Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect His glory to your community. From 2 Samuel chapter 11, And Nathan said to David, You are the man. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Morning, friends. There's an old saying that everybody loves a scandal. I remember as a kid, it used to be that uh, scandals were sort of reserved for those tabloids you'd have right by the cash register at the, at the grocery store. But now it seems like everybody's in on the gig, right? It's all about scandal. Everywhere you look, I think, I think it all started back with the Monica Lewinsky situation. But now it's like, even now we're looking for scandals where they might not even really exist. Everybody loves a scandal. And I, I think, the, I got no proof for this, but I think the reason is actually pretty clear that scandals make us think that we're much better than we are. <laughs> uh, that the person at the core of the scandal, it's their fault, and therefore the scandal makes us feels superior. We can look at somebody who's gotten themselves into a mess and go, aha, that's what I don't want to be like. To quote the, uh, the famous prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 11, the Pharisee, as you know, is standing in the temple and he prays and he says, Lord, I love this, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. That's the point. The human heart loves a scandal. And we love it because it allows us to point fingers and say, well, I might be bad, but I'm not as bad as that guy. But here's the question for you this morning. What exactly is a scandal? I think you probably know, but let me give you a definition, and then I'll unpack it for you a little bit because it's the key to the text for today. The definition of a scandal, listen really closely, a scandal is a public event that brings disgrace, okay, or offense. A scandal is a public incident that brings disgrace or offense. And the reason I'm going to look at those two ideas of disgrace and offense, we're going to look at that today in the part two of our sermon series about David and Bathsheba and David's murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. I'm going to look at three points today. They're all about scandal. I'm going to look at the scandal of David's sin, which we talked about last week. I'm going to look at, secondly, the scandal of Nathan's intervention. And then finally, here's the biggie, the scandal of the gospel. So the scandal of David's sin, point one. Point two, the scandal of Nathan's intervention. And then point three, the scandal of the gospel. So, before we get into that, let me ask you a question, and it's kind of rhetorical, at least I hope it is. How many of you know who Mahatma Gandhi was? Anybody? Ring a bell? Mahatma Gandhi was a guy, or Gandhi, was a man who, who served the poor. He was instrumental in, in the Indians gaining their independence from the British. And as part of his, his work, he, he ministered around a group of people, Gandhi did, called the untouchables. And they were people that were Indian culture was very, very stratified, still is, 
And the people at the bottom of the barrel were called the untouchables. And they, you couldn't touch them. They were unclean. And so Gandhi would ride around India doing his circuit, if you will. And he always traveled with the untouchables in third class. And somebody once asked him, hey, Gandhi, why do you travel in third class? And he said, because there is no fourth class. All right? And, and yet here's the thing I want to point out. For all of his social ethic, right, for, which actually very closely mirrors the Christian social ethic, for all of Gandhi's social ethic and social work, Gandhi never became a Christian. In fact, he was once, once he was asked that question, because the, you know, the British were, the Christian church was all over in India trying to missionize, and somebody once said to him, hey Gandhi, you know, why, why how come you've never become a Christian? Because you live like one, but how come you've never become one? And Gandhi said, ready for this? I've never become a Christian because I've never met one. Now, now we're getting somewhere. See, for Gandhi, Christians are hypocrites. He's right, actually, in one sense. And the reason I bring that up today is because David and his life is a good example and a good illustration of Gandhi's observation. Here's a guy who claims to be a godly man, a religious man, and yet he's an adulterer and a murderer. But he claims faith. Good fodder for Gandhi's observation that Christians and religious people are hypocrites. And here's the first point I want to point out to you, and that is, the point one is the scandal of David's sin. Now, let me just make an obvious point here. <laughs> David is not in the Bible because he's an example of good behavior. <laughs> David is not in the Bible because he's a nice guy. David is not in Scripture as an example of how to act. In fact, David is in the Bible as a glaring example and illustration of human sin and brokenness. That's why he's there. And the reason I bring that to your attention is because God's people— Christianity has never been about morally upright, stand-up people. The perfect, the ethically pure. And this is precisely why Gandhi missed the entire point. Gandhi misses the entire point of Christianity because Christians believe it's not, listen, it's not our goodness, that, not our moral performance that determines our goodness, no but the fact that Jesus died to save us. And there's lots of examples. David's one, but the Bible's full of train wrecks, right? I mean, Moses, right? Moses, the great hero of the Bible. Yeah, Moses was a murderer. Okay. How about Abraham? Abraham, yeah. Abraham, yeah. He sold his wife to Pharaoh as his sister. Uh, St. Peter, what about St. Peter? Yeah, yeah, Peter was a coward and a hothead. You get, get my point, right? You seen a pattern here? <laughs> Friends, you and I, we are fallen sinners. We are fallen people living in a fallen world. Gandhi is a fallen man living in a fallen world. The difference, here's the key, is that we admit it. That, friends, is what the scandal of David shows us. That it's not the righteous that God saves— but sinners. And that actually leads me to my second point, the scandal of Nathan. Um, 
Remember, scandal is something which brings disgrace, which is what people usually think of. David's a prime example of that. <laughs> but scandal is also something which causes an offense. And that's actually where Nathan comes in. Nathan brings offense to David. Let me show you what I mean. So Nathan is one of David's friends. In fact, I would submit to you that Nathan is David's only real friend. Why? Well, because Nathan, listen, Nathan is more concerned about saving his friend than saving his friendship. I'm going to repeat that. Nathan is more concerned about saving his friend than saving their friendship. Notice something really, really important. Nathan finds out what David did. He doesn't go to David with guns blazing, knocking on the door. Dave, you filthy animal, what are you doing? He doesn't do that. He doesn't go to David with a pointed finger and says, David, you scoundrel, what have you done? He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, David, you're a train wreck. You're a loser, you dirty, filthy animal. No, it doesn't do that. <laughs> That's what moralists do. That's what Church Lady from Saturday Night, Live, Saturday Night Live does. That's what Gandhi would do. They want to judge others and evaluate people based upon their moral performance. Why? So they can feel superior. That's what moralists want, friends. Superiority. Christianity is not about moralism. And Nathan is a great example. Nathan doesn't go to David to judge David. Nathan goes to David to save him. Let me, let me just stop there for a second and just make an obvious point and a good lesson to you from that. A real friend, a real Christian friend, is more concerned with saving a friend than saving their friendship. A real Christian is more concerned with saving a friend than saving a friendship. Here's something to consider, and if you're thinking, oh, I would do that, well, let me ask you this. Here's a good diagnostic tool for your heart. You ready? This might sting, but it might help you too, I hope. When somebody has a big moral infraction, when one of your friends does something that they shouldn't have done, when somebody in your family does something that they shouldn't have done, do you go, aha, I knew it? Or do you go, oh no, what have they done? Do you point your finger at judgment? That's what Gandhi would do. Or do you point your, do you say, oh my goodness, we're all sinners, what's happening? See, here's my point. A godly man or a godly woman isn't interested in scandal. They're interested in saving. Let's look at Nathan's example to show this very thing. Nathan tells David a story. Nathan knows that if he comes guns blazing to David, David's going to put up a wall and probably have him killed, for that matter. And, and Nathan tells David a story. He says, Dave, let me tell you a story. There's a guy who had all the sheep you could possibly want. To me, sheep are like cats. One is enough. <laughs> but this rich man, this rich man has so many sheep. This rich man is a, a sheep aficionado. He likes sheep, what can I tell you, as it were. But rather than, and he has a guest come, and rather than taking one of his own animals and slaughtering it for the meal, the rich man goes to the poor man who's got only one, and he takes that lamb by force, and he kills it, and he serves it. And Nathan tells David this story. And David is outraged. What does he say? David, David hears the story and David says, that man deserves to die. Nathan pauses. 
He says, Dave, Dave, you're the man. See, the scandal of Nathan, the scandal of Nathan is that he is willing to offend his friend to save him. Nathan is more interested, interested in saving his friend than saving his friendship. So let me, let me turn that around on you for a moment and ask you a question. Has the Lord ever sent you a Nathan? He has for me, God knows. Has God ever placed someone in your life who brings you to a knowledge of yourself that maybe you weren't aware of, that shines a light on something that you would rather cover up, who brings you bluntly to a state of repentance, a kind word, maybe an action, maybe a behavior that you realize, oh my gosh, I've, what have I done? I've got to make a change. I can't continue to live this way. Maybe, maybe the man or the woman who did that for you didn't even realize they were doing it. I mean, after all, Nathan uses this sheep story, but if you look at verse 1, it's not Nathan's clever idea. God actually sent Nathan to him, and God, God sends people to you and me to remind us, to challenge us. And let me just stop there and say this, friends. If God sends you a Nathan, and he will, listen to him or her. If God places somebody in your life who is there to correct you, there to challenge you, there to bring you to a state, to get you back on the path, for God's, for your sake, listen to them. Or maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus is calling you to be a Nathan to somebody else. I mean, you got families, right? You got friends, right? We all know people who are doing things they shouldn't be doing. We all know people who are engaging in destructive behaviors. We all know people who are jeopardizing themselves or someone around them. That's okay, but let me challenge you. <laughs> Is Jesus calling, calling you to be a Nathan to that person? To, in some sense, call them offense. To cause them to see what they're trying desperately to cover up. Not as a self-righteous finger pointer, but in an honest, loving concern, in an, in an intervention. It's not easy. It requires bravery. David, Nathan, could have been killed by David. David's the king, after all. Nathan was brave. And when, if God calls you into the, into the fray, he's call, calling you to be brave. A good Nathan, a good man or a woman, is there, put in our lives, and we are used to help people be accountable. Whenever, you know, and, and the thing is, whenever someone has called me out, and they have, you know what I do? I do what you do. I get my back up. I get defensive. I get frustrated. Not me. It's not my fault. Hang on. What I want to challenge you this morning is this. If somebody comes to you, listen to them. Are you called to be a Nathan? Has God placed a Nathan in your life to challenge you? That's the scandal of Nathan. It's offensive. So we see the scandal of David, right, as an adulterer and a murderer. We see the scandal of Nathan, who caused offense to David but brought him to repentance. And then finally, and if, I've, and if you kind of wandered off, come back for this one, we see the scandal of the gospel. So let's finish the story. Nathan calls David out. And he says, David, you're the man. And the, the key to the whole text is that David actually owns it. He repents. That's what repentance means, to own it. 
It's the most important thing David has ever done his entire life. It is the most transformative moment in his entire life before or after. David says, Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I own it. I've done wrong. I've got to come clean. But here's the kicker that I want to spend a a minute on. Nathan says, David, it's all right. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now let me ask you a question. That sounds good, right? (laughs) If you're David, you're thinking, yeah, home run. (laughs) Dodge that bullet. God's cutting me some slack. That God has put away my sin. All right. But let me ask you a question. Ready? Imagine that you are Uriah the Hittite's younger sister. Imagine that you are Uriah the Hittite's mother. Imagine that you're Uriah the Hittite. Imagine that you are Bathsheba's sister. All of people, all people whose lives have been destroyed by what David has done. What do you mean your sin is put away? You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that God up in the sky just waves his magic fairy wand and suddenly all that bad stuff is just gone? All is well? Please. Is that good? Is it just? Even David says, even David says, that man should die. But see, when God forgives David's sin, someone did die for David's sin, but it, but it wasn't David. Someone does die for David's sin, but it isn't David. 1,200 years later, we read about a man who calls himself the son of David. His name's Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus goes to the cross and dies for the sins of those who repent and turn to him. For anyone who trusts Jesus enough to pay the cross to take the debt. It's referred to in Scripture, if you care, it's referred to in theology, rather, as the proleptic effect of the cross. But the idea is that Jesus' death on the cross reaches backwards and forwards. That Jesus' death on the cross, David's faith in that, has put away David's sin. David will not die eternally in hell because Jesus Christ has taken that punishment in his place. Don't you see? The greatest scandal of all is that an innocent man should die for sinners. That an innocent man should die for you and for me. But he did. Friends, Christian forgiveness is not just a wink and a pat on the head. Oh, let bygones be bygones. It's about a God who maintains justice by paying the debt which we can't pay by paying it himself. And let me ask you this. How many of you, how many of us, have really given that sin, our transgressions to Jesus to pay on the cross? How many of us really believe he's taken them? Oh, come on, Father, of course I know I'm forgiven. Well, do you really? Hang on. You may say it, but I want to challenge you to really think about it. And here's what I want you to think about. 
You say you're forgiven, but are you free from your past? Or are you guilt-ridden for something you've done? Or do you harbor resentment for something that has been done to you? Do you live in the past? Do you live enslaved, or are you free? Well, Jesus says, I offer you freedom. You know, I knew a guy, before I went to seminary, I worked in IT for Siemens Corporation, other places too, but I worked with a guy named John. And John was actually a lot like David. Um, He wasn't a king, but he was a partier and a womanizer, and he was fun. Everybody loved this guy, John. He was a blast to hang out with. He made a ton of money, and let's just say, I'll leave it at that. That's all you need to know. Anyway, I went to seminary for a year. I didn't know John all that well. I knew who he was. I went to seminary, and I came back one year or summer break, whatever, and I was out with some friends having some wings and a beer, and John came up to me. I didn't know John very well, but he came up to me, and he says, so how are you doing? And, and it was, I'll be honest with you, it was, a little, it was a little weird. I was a little freaked out by it. I thought, well, what's he going to do, right? Make fun of me going to seminary or I don't know. How's seminary, he said. I thought, well, it's good. It's Pittsburgh. So, and I'm wondering, what does this guy really want? And he starts to tell me, John proceeds to then tell me, he says, you know, he says, uh, since you left, Rodriguez, he said, uh, my marriage fell apart. I was unfaithful. I'm like, yeah, John, everybody knew that, but he got caught. His family fell apart. He had a drinking problem. His life was just a complete mess. He was completely destroyed. He's telling me all this. And I'm thinking, well, I could have told you that was coming. But he said, you know, he said, it drove me to Jesus. I, I tell you, friends, I was completely stunned. I didn't see that one coming. He said, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt a lot of people. He said, but I, I met Jesus. I came to him. And I finally, this is a quote, I finally realized that I could put down those buckets of rocks I'd been carrying. I finally realized when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I could put down those buckets of rocks I was carrying. He's saying this to me, and I was just speechless. Friends, if Jesus can save John, my friend, he can save anybody. Here's a question as I wrap up. Have you put down your buckets of rocks, the things you've done or the things that people have done to you? Have you put them down? Or do you hang on to them? Old hurts, old wounds. Let them go. Jesus paid for it. Jesus died to take those from you and set you free and to give you life and a life to the full. Everybody, friends, everybody loves a scandal. And you know what? The reason I love this scandal, the reason I love it, is because it all points to the common condition of all of us. That we are fallen, that we are all broken, that we are all desperately in need of a Savior to save us. And you know, that's the reason why David was the apple of God's eye. When he repented and he wrote Psalm 51, which we just read a minute ago, David wrote that when this occurred. The reason David was the apple of God's eye is not because David was good, not because he was holy, but because David trusted Jesus to save him. And so the question for you this morning and for me, if Jesus, David trusted Jesus to save him, 
will you? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the scandal of David to show us our own brokenness. Lord, give us a Nathan to call us to you when we've gone astray and remind us of our own charge to lead those who have fallen back to you. In his name, Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.